Welcome back to the Red CR Roundup for this week, starting Monday the 7th of September. We hope you had a good week last week and you caught up with our episode with IHS markets experts uh, Jonathan Sang and Coupe de Fournay Tran, who were talking to us about some of their data insights into the first few weeks of SFTR. Uh, if you haven't, go back and check that out now. But now it's time for this week's episode, and we're delighted to have joining us in the virtual studio the managing director of Registrar SA, Irene Mamigades. Hi, Irene. Good morning, everybody. And also in the virtual studio, of course, uh, no episode would be complete without the nicest and most efficient person in the organization, Barbara Ruiz Alonso, Head of Client Services. Hello, everyone. Good morning. And finally, completing our virtual studio trio, we have uh, the Dr. Evil of Brexit himself, the CEO of uh, Registrar UK and Head of Product in Europe, John Kern. Good morning. Now, this is a financial services podcast and anything could happen in the next 20 minutes. And so we have to read a disclaimer to keep our compliance folks happy. And this week, the disclaimer will be read by Barbara Ruiz Alonso, Head of Client Services. And while Barbara does that, I'm going to try and play Hotel California on the ukulele. This podcast is sponsored by Registiar and features members of the Registiar team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal, tax or other professional advice and there is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registiar as an organization. Yay! <laughs> I've been practicing, I've been practicing organization. Now, this week with Irene here, uh, we're going to have a discussion about the future of the TR industry. We're going to look a bit further forwards than we normally do, and uh, we're going to have a look at where things are going. But before we do that, uh, John, um, the Brexit news, I'm guessing, is going to be bad this week. It's, it's not looking great, I'll be honest with you. As the UK-EU trade negotiations stalemated over the last few weeks, both sides are becoming more and more pessimistic about an agreement by the end of the transition period and increasingly blame each other for the lack of progress. Currently, the topic of state aid is said to be the main problem, as the UK has so far not provided its proposal on that issue and wants to discuss other topics whilst the EU insists on addressing this important topic. After a meeting with the UK's negotiator David Frost on Tuesday, EU's chief Brexit negotiator Michel Barnier stated, the UK government is still looking to keep the benefits of the EU and the single market without the obligations. Friday, Boris Johnson's spokesperson added to the debate, our goal remains to reach an agreement. We need more realism from the EU and them to show that they understand the fundamentals of our position as an independent country. However, according to reports, senior officials in Boris Johnson's office would only see a chance of 30 to 40 percent for an agreement. Despite the intensified rhetoric, officials on both sides hope that the leaders meeting at the European Council on the 15th and 16th of October could end the standstill in the negotiations. Last week, Klaus Lerber, incoming chair of the EU CCP Supervisory Committee, gave statements on the UK's Euro clearing access, explaining that detailed analysis would be needed before the EU could decide on a long-term access for the LSE to clear Euro-denominated derivatives for customers in the EU. 
Reuters stated that the EU would currently not give a permission to allow investment banks to service customers in EU member states after the transition phase directly before finalising the equivalence assessment of the UK rules. In this context, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey criticised the EU's approach to third country, third country equivalents. It means really they think this is a rule-taking pro- process. I don't think that is equivalence. I'm very concerned that this is how they think equivalence works, he said. In the meantime, Credit Suisse applied for a banking license in Spain to be fully operational in mid-2021 to be compliant with the EU's requirements as a contingency measure in the case no agreement could be conducted. So that's that's the Brexit update um, from um, the news last week. Um, I also read in The Guardian this morning on the way to work that there have been further developments off the press. Um, The headline being that Boris Johnson is to override the EU withdrawal agreement. Um, He apparently is drawing up legislation that will override the withdrawal withdrawal agreement on Northern Ireland, a move that threatens the collapse of the crunch talks, which the Prime Minister said must be completed in the next five weeks. There we have it. Not very positive, I'm afraid. All right. So that's uh, the usual um, soup of chaotic gloom uh, uh, from there from you, John. Thanks very much. That's <laughs> that's your contribution to the show again. Uh, Irene, uh, I want to come to you. So the thing is, clearly, the TR industry is going to be going through changes over the next year, next couple of years. And it's very difficult to make predictions. And I know on this show, we love to get um, out our, our crystal balls and sort of, you know, see into the the mists of the future. But presumably, as the, the managing director of Registry RSA, you've actually got to have a strategy in place looking forwards about how the industry adapts to all these changes. And of course, we have seen um, a big player leave the uh, market in, in CME TR and uh, Nexabine TR. So what's um, what's your view? Where's the trade repository industry going uh, over the next sort of year, two years um, in terms of, I mean, there's a range of issues we have to cover, tech, uh, business models, um, charging equivalents, all sort of stuff. What's your sort of outlook? How do you see the industry changing? Since I've joined this business, I think the um, some of the quotes of uh, Greek philosopher Heraclitus uh, seem to be fully in line with what happens in the tier industry, meaning that uh, there is nothing permanent except change. And in our business, nothing uh but change. Um, we have been seeing so many changes since we started the EMI reporting, uh, which Still, we're expecting uh, major uh, changes upcoming, and we have discussed it um, many times in the podcast about the impact uh, of uh, refit. And uh, we we are prepared uh, that uh, we will continue to be investing um, into improving the regulatory experience, both for market participants and for the regulators, into improving the um, reporting. Uh, we have just started with the CFTR and we believe that we are at the beginning um, of this new product uh, reporting uh, journey uh, because we haven't finished yet with the onboarding of the um, 
different groups of market participants. Uh, so we continue to have the teams ready for the onboarding of uh, phase three. Um, participants, but also uh, we, we know that um, SFTR will uh, undergo also um, uh, changes, definitely not to the same extent as uh, with EMIR, um, since with um, SFTR, there were lessons learned and a lot of things to a certain extent went much, much smoother uh, than with EMIR. Uh, but uh, we, we plan to, the, uh, to continue with releases and enhancements on SFTR uh, to address uh, issues with schemas, feedback from market associations, uh, workarounds that TRs had to put in place um, for covering discrepancies between the regulation and the uh, and the schemas, um, and uh, also at the same time uh, trying to cope with um, events like the um, wind down of uh, uh, CME, which has a major impact um, on all of the TRs. As we are in the process of um, onboarding uh, participants from. Um, uh, CME and other line clients from the um, Abide entity uh, that was part of the uh, same group. So we continue to be busy. Uh, we don't need to have um, a strategy about uh, breaking into uh, new markets or in products in the case of TR, but making sure that we have um, enough uh, capacity and understanding, anticipating uh, the changes that will come um, on already the regulations that we are uh, supporting. One of the things that came out in our last show about SFTR was the fact that although it's got, you know, it's come with a, an ISO standard and it's got very close matching criteria and it's reporting more fields of data than any other piece of legislation, it's actually got the, the lowest sort of rate of rejections and it's got the best sort of pairing and reconciliation. And a lot of that's down to digital maturity. So when you look forwards at the TR industry, do you see a greater investment in digital uh, solutions, in automation and in uh, DLT? Yes, um, DLT is a technology enabler that um, uh, has been um, gaining ground over the last years. Uh, we've seen some major uh, market infrastructures uh, really investing on DLT. Um, others having proof of concept in specific areas. It is only a question of uh, time and priorities uh, for uh, big market infrastructures that there is a closer look into the benefits that DLT uh, can bring into the regulatory reporting. And specifically, as you said, the digital maturity of the entities um, will facilitate that um, um, because um, if, if DLT can bring uh, reporting uh, by um, barriers lower uh, and improve efficiency, uh, there is definitely something that uh, specialized technology providers that they're currently working and looking also into DLT for regulatory reporting uh, will uh, start uh, promoting. Um, 
at the end of the day, it's all a question of um, how the adoption of the technology uh, can take place uh, without major disruption in terms of the um, uh, the, the system implementations um, of the market participants, the software providers, uh, and the TRs. Uh, but um, th- there is definitely uh, work taking place in that area um, that um, will push slowly uh, the TRs also into adoption of DLT. And on the regulator side, I believe also there are similar um, um, proof of concepts and work uh, done. Um, So um, uh, I'm confident that um, probably in the medium to longer term, um, once all of the aspects reassuring regulators uh, in terms of the uh, um, security uh, confidentiality and uh, completeness of the data with that technology are addressed uh, that uh, they will be supporting also that movement. So, I mean, Barbara and, and Irene, this is one I want to float out there. And John as well, actually, I, I think you're all going to have an interesting view on this because something that's come up time and again in our interviews, and I think Phil Brown said it very well, was, you know, there needs to be a, a pause, a chance for the TR industry to catch its breath, a chance for market participants to catch their breath, to sort of bed down the uh, regulatory reporting that we already have and have a bit of a break without any more changes for a while or new regimes coming in because, you know, it's been uh, an intense sort of uh, accelerating uh, period over the last 10 years with more and more data needing to be reported and more and more uh, regulatory procedures in place. So, Barbara, what do you think? Is it is it time for a break? Will DLT give us um, a chance to adapt more easily to new regulations than in the past? Well, that is, for me, a very tricky question because I think we, as Irene was saying, you know, like this permanent change will imply kind of permanent uh, developments on everyone's side. So it's not that we can actually take a long breath, uh, a long breath. But um, what I see more challenging is that all the industry walks this road at the same time, meaning it's not only the TRs, it's also the participants and the uh and the technology that we all need to go at the same time. So for me, we we will need to keep all all the people, you know, working at the same time. For which we need to keep uh, applying these changes, but at uh, at the same rhythm, you know. Uh, so because we need to ensure still this um, uh, competency between the TRs, so uh, portability is already in place. For example, if we have very different levels of of uh, digitalization that could interrupt the the current model of of the TRs. So that is for me the the, the main challenge. Yeah, Andrew, I also see this, um, I I think this kind of ties in a few different things we've been discussing. So definitely, I think we'd all like to see stability in the regulatory framework. Um, And then the the other thing is that um, by adopting new technology, we may be able to achieve cost reduction and operational efficiency. 
so you kind of then have um you know perfect conditions to uh, champion client driven development and and frankly market participants haven't seen so much of that from any trade repository for the reasons that we've explained you know during during all of our podcasts really um, about the regulatory framework so that's what I'd like to see with my product hat on, um, you know, exploring further things we can do with the data we have from clients, repackaging the data back to the clients for things like trade monitoring, compliance, identification of outliers, collateral management, tracking, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we, we have a powerful amount of data that we are able um, to uh, to use uh, and return to the client who sent it um, in a helpful manner, um, but we need uh, we need the time uh, and the space um, to develop that. Irene, I want to ask you: Do you think that uh, the the regulators uh, from the you know ECB, ESMA down, and and you know also NCAs? Do you think that they are sympathetic enough to the practical challenges that regulation and changing regulations places on TRs? Are the working groups effective enough? Or do you think there should be a bit more of a pushback from the industry to the regulators about giving a, a, a decent break uh, in order for regulations to bed down and stabilise? Um, that's, a, that's a fair point. I think... Um, it- there is a combination of um, TRs having dialogue uh, with our supervisor, ESMA, um, ensuring that um, we, um, we we do express the concerns uh, from uh, the TR industry, but also from the market participants. And, uh, for example, the work that has been done for SFTR for the definition of the schemas in the ISO evaluation group uh, has been a very good experience for us, but probably also for ESMA. Um, But the role of the industry associations is uh, really crucial because industry associations uh, they also reach at um, national competent authorities, uh, which are the ones supervising ESMA, and um, make the messages um, have the full circle um, around um, the, uh, the, the the ecosystem that um, we are uh, operating. So we also are participating in a number um, of industry associations, and uh, uh, we believe that this work is also very valuable uh, for listening to the concerns and making sure we re- reflect those uh, back to the uh, to, to our supervisor ESMA. You know, we hear from market participants sometimes frustration at the short notice of implementation of changes, which is largely driven by the availability 
of um, confirmed uh, technical specifications. And we provide that feedback, as Irene said, um, but it doesn't necessarily change the implementation timeframe. Uh, but if we look more closely, you, you could look at the delay of the implementation of SFTR and say, and I think I said this on a previous podcast actually, and say that that's, that's the process working well. You know, that's dialogue between market participants, industry associations with the regulator, the regulator listening and doing something about it. One final question is, it, it, the TR industry, it's slightly dysfunctional, isn't it? From the point of view that the marketplace is growing, but the number of market players uh, who are providing the service is shrinking. That's that's an unusual situation. You don't find that in many other industries. I mean, you know, do you think five years from now there'll be more TRs or do you think there'll be even less? Uh, my, my view is that there, there will be fewer um, TRs, um, cer- certainly not more um, TRs. Um, I think we discussed before, you know, as a, as a standalone business, the TR business itself probably doesn't make sense. If you're, if you're doing it to generate huge amounts of revenue, you're in the wrong business. For us, it makes sense because we're obviously part of two uh, big exchange groups. It's part of our uh, pre-trade trading and post-trade lifecycle um, to be able to provide those services to our group franchise customers. But for other entities, why would you want to be so heavily scrutinized by the regulator? You're, you're placed under massive con- commercial constraints in terms of pricing and subsidization and things like that. It doesn't make sense. Irene? Yeah, we have to operate um, on a cost-relatedness base as if we were a utility while we are in an environment where there is competition and where, um, um, you know, scale volumes count. So uh, it is... um, it is uh, a difficult environment uh, to uh, to be operating, uh, and it's always always um, a very good balance of preparing your roadmap and ensuring uh, you're in line with your regulatory obligations while you try to be very efficient for the offering to the clients. It, it, it is a challenge. But uh, um, as John said, I don't see you will see more um, TRs entering, uh, but um, I'm not sure there will be TRs exiting uh, neither at this stage. Good. Okay. Well, that's that feels like a, a positive note. So if you're working in the TR industry, don't worry, your job is safe for now. More importantly, though, as we come to the end of the podcast, we're running out of time already this week uh, for uh, the show. But as we have Irene here with us, we've been surveying Irene, you may have heard on the other podcast, we've been surveying uh, senior uh, trade uh, repository executives at Breakfast Choices. Um, there may be a cookbook in the offing. I'll leave it there. I'm not going to say any more. Um, so, Irene, what is your preferred breakfast of choice? Um, shall, I, uh, shall I give you a breakfast update while she's thinking about it? Breakfast, <laughs> breakfast update. So, pre- previously, I said I didn't take breakfast. I've now been taking. I've now been taking breakfast, and I've gone. I've gone Spanish with it, Barbara. So, I've got. Um, 
chopped up tomatoes with olive oil, salt and pepper. Mm. You know, like you eat with your ham on, your fabulous. And I have those tomatoes on a on a slice of toast, and that's the breakfast of champions. Wow! Is it? And so you have much more energy now, right? This is just because since you became CEO, you actually cannot go through that only with a coffee, right? Can't, can't you see how beautiful, shiny my hair is now? <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Irene, I, I, I know that obviously you're Greek. I have um, just come back from Crete. And so yeah. my my breakfast has transformed as well. I'm now having a pita bread with olive oil on it in the morning and some hummus along with that. And it's great. Slow release carbs, good protein, keeps me going throughout a busy podcasting day. Yeah, I, I think Greek... Uh, are not big fans of breakfast but because I'm back from Greece I can tell you uh, having fresh cut figs from a tree in the morning that's that's unique in the summer okay good fresh cut figs presumably that's I mean that's the whole recipe is it I'm just gathering information for the book we don't you don't drizzle any honey on there and things sort of you know oh no with figs you don't need Uh, they're so sweet is Wow. Okay, good. Fresh cut figs. You heard it there. And presumably that's another, that's a great source also of vitamin C, I would imagine, too. So uh, healthy breakfast here for the MD. That's why uh, Irene has been in the business since the beginning and will be here uh, for another 10 years of Registrar because she has a healthy breakfast. Uh, Jonathan Sang, IHS Markets, take note. Cut out that bacon sandwich, son. Cut out the bacon sandwich. Uh, good. And on that, I'm sorry, Jonathan, don't write in. Thanks for the soup recipe, by the way, QP. I'll leave it there. If you missed last week's show, go back and listen to it. I have the soup recipe. I'm willing to share it. If you send me a comment on LinkedIn, I will, I will send the recipe back to you. Um, in the meantime, all that remains for us to say this week is a huge thank you to uh, Managing Director of Registrar SA, Irene Mermigadiz. Goodbye, everybody. And a big goodbye to the nicest and most efficient person in the organization, Head of Client Services, Barbara Ruiz Alonso. Goodbye, everyone. And Andrew, I will give you that uh, comment because I still don't have the recipe of the soup from QP. Okay, I'm sending the soup over straight after the recording. And finally, goodbye from the Dr. Evil of Brexit himself, the CEO of Registrar UK and Head of Products in Europe, John Kern. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. And do go to our LinkedIn page. That is uh, linkedin.com slash companies slash Regis hyphen TR. And uh, listen to the podcast. All the other episodes are there as well. Do leave a comment. Do get in touch. And if you want to be on the show, uh, drop us a line. And uh, let's talk about the TR industry together. And in the meantime, have a great week. 